The Students for a Democratic Society at the University of Florida held a rally this afternoon in Turlington Plaza to bring awareness to the Trayvon Martin case. UF students and Gainesville residents filled the plaza decked out in hoodies, demanding justice for the fatal shooting of the Sanford teen. Students for a Democratic Society lead organizer Matthias Kaplan says he thinks it's ridiculous that race still plays such a huge role in today's society. What I'm here for is that I think we need to end, you know, racism in this state. Like, it's literally the year, like, 2012. Like, how absurd is it that, you know, somebody can be shot just for walking home with this hoodie up? And, you know, the man who shot him is not even in custody yet. He hasn't even been tried. I don't even know if he will be tried. So we're here demanding an end for any uh, racism in the state of Florida and an end for um, basically the systemic racism that, you know, we see happening. Kaplan says three things must happen to ensure that Trayvon gets the justice many believe he deserves. Basically, we're out here demanding that uh, Trayvon Martin's killer, George Zimmerman, be arrested. We're demanding that the sheriff uh, in charge of Sanford be permanently fired for a cover-up of this case. And we're here demanding that the FBI investigate this as a racially motivated hate crime, which is something that they, they're not even calling it a crime yet. But, you know, it's something, you know, clearly like there are like racial undertones in this. And, and that's what we're here demanding. University of Florida sophomore Kumari Dennis was one of the 300 activists in attendance. Dennis says he felt the need to be involved in this rally because the only way to end racism is to make people aware of the damage it causes. I recently found out about this case and it's just really upsets me how there's no justice being brought to this case at all. There's no reason for him to have been gunned down like that. And these police is not doing anything about it. We just need to make, we just need to make it more um, announced to the world in general. We really have to, everyone has a voice, so everyone should, you know, use it. Organizer with Students for a Democratic Society, Cassia Laham, says she expects rallies to continue until legal action is taken. I'm here to demand justice and to let people know that people in Florida and people in the Gainesville community do not stand for racist violence and we will stand up against it every time. People are pumped, people are angry, people are frustrated that justice has not been served yet. People in the Gainesville community and on UF's campus are ready to demand justice and we will not stop. This movement is just the beginning. This rally is just the beginning of this movement. We're going to continue. We're going to continue to demand justice until it is served because Justice is a dish best served hot. We need it immediately, and justice delayed really is justice denied. While other rallies around the state will continue throughout the week, the University of Florida will also hold another event in honor of Martin. Winning justice for Trayvon and the fight against racism will be held on Thursday in room 210 of Pew Hall on the University of Florida campus. A guest speaker will talk about socialism and the struggle to end the new Jim Crow. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Jillian Bach. On Thursday, Sanford Police Chief Bill Lee announced he's stepping down temporarily. The police chief has come under fire for not making an arrest in the Trayvon Martin case. Chief Lee, who doesn't want to be a continued distraction in the case, says authorities were prohibited from making an arrest based on the facts and circumstances they had at the time of the shooting. And UF Levin College of Law professor Michael Siegel explains how there may not have been an arrest given Florida's stand-your-ground law. Florida law is quite aggressive uh, in the way that it does this. Not only does it remove the duty to retreat, but it, it 
says that anybody who uh, claims to have acted in self-defense um, meeting the requirements of the statute uh, has an immunity from arrest um, as well as prosecution. But when does this law apply? If you are in a place that you are lawfully uh, permitted to be and you are acting lawfully, you're not committing any kind of crime, uh, then if somebody uh, poses a deadly threat to you, you can respond with deadly force. You can kill them even though you might have been able to, to effectively to run away um, and avoid taking another human life. Many are questioning whether self-proclaimed neighborhood watchman George Zimmerman's actions were in self-defense, leading many to question the Stand Your Ground law. It was passed in 2005 and sponsored by Republican State Representative Dennis Baxley of Ocala, who says this law was created ultimately for protection. And now, with the Trayvon Martin case, it's become under inappropriate attack. Uh, there's nothing in this statute that provides authority or protection to pursue and confront. And that is the difficulty in this case and why this tragic incident occurred. Uh, even under counsel of the dispatcher not to pursue, uh, this individual did. And to my understanding of our statute, uh, this is where he stepped out on thin ice. And uh, this is strictly for law-abiding citizens who are the victim of a violent attack that... Uh, they have the right to defend themselves and their family from uh, rape or uh, maiming and beating or murder. Meanwhile, Democratic State Senator Chris Smith, who opposed the legislation back in 2005, calls this law a double-edged sword and says it needs to be revamped. Well, it's been good in that some people with legitimate concerns for their, for their you know, bodily injury has been able to avail themselves of it and not be prosecuted and have to defend themselves and go through the cost of, of defense. However, you've had cases like the current Trayvon Martin case where a person availed themselves of it, and you have basically a, a he say, she say, but with one person dead. He wants to change the law so a person can initiate contact like they can now, and he explains what he means by giving this example. The way we're trying to change it is you cannot initiate contact. Under this law and under Florida law right now, if I came down to your radio station, a place where I'm legally able to be, and I began to, to insult you, and if you take steps towards me and I feel in fear of my life, I can take out a gun that I'm licensed to have and shoot you dead. Even though I came to you, I'm legally allowed to be at your radio station. I initiated contact. Once you take steps towards me, I can then shoot you dead. I don't think anyone wants that type of law in our books. However, Representative Baxley says people's lives have been spared by this law and says changes to the statute aren't necessary. I think in this particular sad and tragic case, we find that the problem is not the statute. The problem is the application of it when someone was pursued and confronted, escalated an incident. And that is not covered by this statute. That This statute does not offer protection to do that.
Meanwhile, other states are moving towards some form of stand-your-ground law, but UF law professor Michael Siegel says Florida and Colorado are two of the only states which give individuals immunity from arrest and prosecution in the stand-your-ground law. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Kelsey Peck in Gainesville. Sanford resident Anna Nelson compares the Martin case to other media-driven cases, but never imagined it happening in her small town. If you drive by that neighborhood, there's like a bunch of signs and memorials and always cops. There's always cops outside that neighborhood now. But in my neighborhood, which is about five miles from that, is where the major protesting has been going on in the downtown park. Um, It's where like Reverend Al Sharpton and Martin Luther King Jr. III was just here last week, as with Rosa Parks' family, too. They were all here last week, and Al Sharpton was here again last night, which is causing tons of helicopters to always be around. And tons. last night, all the streets were blocked off by police officers, and there's fire trucks, and there's riot squads. And even last week, I couldn't get out of my driveway because there were so many people in downtown Stanford that they were all just parked up and down the streets and blocking all the driveways off. Nelson says not only has this case split the community, but caused disruptions throughout the normally quiet streets. I guess ever since all this happened, Stanford's been, I would say, more socially divided. And the fact that probably about once a week we have major protests going on with about... Yesterday, there was 7,500 people in downtown Sanford protesting. And um, I would say it's just this whole situation has just really divided the city. Rallies broke out across the state yesterday, and social media sites continue to be filled with concerns of this case. You know about the Casey Anthony trial? I think it's going to turn into something like that just because no one really knows what happened except for George Zimmerman, the guy who shot. Trayvon Martin. So, and supposedly there's a witness too, but I think the reason why this has become such a like a, a racial issue is because of the media. While there has been reports of Martin's past, including possible drug use, the Sanford Police Department insisted there was no authorized release of the new information. The police department did admit there may have been a leak, but the State Department of Juvenile Justice confirmed that Martin did not have a juvenile offender record. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Melissa Averett. It's been 47 days since Sanford teen Trayvon Martin was shot and killed by neighborhood watch captain 28-year-old George Zimmerman. When Zimmerman was not immediately arrested and charged in the teen's death, Martin's family filed suit. The case fueled outrage across the nation. It raised the question of whether or not someone can be deemed suspicious simply by walking unarmed through a neighborhood. University of Florida Progressive Black Men Incorporation is an organization helping the professional development of African-American men. Group member Kama Weatherspoon says he didn't expect a case like this in our society. I think that the United States is one of the few countries on the forefront of, you know, um, like an egalitarian society. I mean, we're not as, I don't believe we're as racist as other uh, nations are in the, in the world. And for us to, you know, for this event to transpire the way, the way it did and for him not to have been arrested, I was just, I was disappointed. 
That disappointment sparked rallies across the nation demanding Zimmerman's arrest with the headline, Justice for Trayvon. Those calls were answered Wednesday afternoon when the slain teen's killer was arrested and charged in his death. University of Florida 11 College of Law professor Kenneth Nunn says he's not surprised about the prosecutor's decision because Governor Rick Scott was not fond of the state's negative image after the case made national headlines. After the governor had appointed a, a special prosecutor, I think part of that was because the, the case had gone sideways and there was so much attention on it uh, and the state was getting such bad publicity uh, that I thought that the, the governor said, look, we, we need to clean this up and let me get somebody in here who's going to handle this. And I think she knew what her job was and what she needed to do, and she's handled it very professionally up until this point. Um, and, uh, you know, so based on the, the publicly reported evidence uh, that I'm aware of and you're aware of, and I think all of your listeners are aware of, it seemed to me like uh, there was more than sufficient evidence to meet the very low standard of whether or not there's probable cause for prosecution in this case. I think there is. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that there was that, that charges resulted here. One of the main contributors to that negative image, Nunn says, is Florida's controversial law that led to Zimmerman's freedom in the first place. There's a movement against the Stand Your Ground law. And so right now there's a lot of attention on that law and a lot of interest in seeing some changes in the law uh, that perhaps would moderate it and keep this type of event uh, from happening again. Uh, and we'll have to wait and see how that all turns out as well. Nunn says the other issue this case has stirred up is one wrapped in U.S. history. The role Martin's race has played in affecting the decision of Zimmerman to shoot and law enforcement not to arrest. There's a movement against racial profiling and against uh, treating uh, African-American victims differently because it's not simply the profiling, it's the way that he was dealt with by the Sanford Police Department after the charges have been brought. Uh, there's a lot of attention on it, but we've also had a lot of attention on these issues with some other cases like the Sean Bell case, the, the uh, uh, um, Troy Davis case. There are the lots of cases where we've had attention on these issues and then it kind of died down. So we have to see. The issue of racial profiling throughout American history has been passed down from one generation to the next. None as in the age of social media, this generation does not hesitate to use technology sources that weren't available in past years. This generation uh, has not had as much opportunity uh, to demonstrate its uh, con commitment to some of the values that were established during the civil rights movement. Um, and, you know, I think that this is also an interesting turning point in that regard, because a lot of the, the interest in the case was drummed up through the use of social media and the engagement and involvement of younger people uh, that I haven't seen before. President of UF's Progressive Black Men Incorporated, Julius Irvin, says he's proud of how his generation strives for equality. He says he hopes the Trayvon Martin case will teach people the negative consequences of being judgmental. If somebody was to be placed in a situation where they like being judgmental, they'll stop and think about it. They'll really think about, oh, how, how is this going to turn out? Am I really doing the right thing? Is this person really who I think they are? So I feel like it's going to be a positive side to it. Like, people will really start using their brain now. Like, I can't be judgmental toward this group just because of the background that I thought I knew about them. 
Urban adds that he hopes the current activism will not die out. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Nikkel Smith reporting. Though initial response regarding the case was limited to locals, a 911 call from alleged shooter and neighborhood watch volunteer Zimmerman created a firestorm that swept across the nation, generating interest from citizens and celebrities alike. Attention in the case crested to an all-time high when President Barack Obama claimed some soul-searching was needed across the country and that if he had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. Now months since Martin's death, rallies have erupted from California to New York with multiple states in between. Shortly after his death, Martin's family established a petition calling for Zimmerman's arrest and involvement from Florida law enforcement, which has garnered over one and a half million signees. But while the fight for justice is being fought in Martin's home state, one D.C. television producer and social media activist decided it was time to bring the fight to the country's capital. I knew that Trayvon's mom and dad couldn't fly to Washington. They were trying to fight the battle right there in Florida, but I knew I could. I'm a half hour from D.C. I I am a a black woman, a mother, uh, an American, and... I felt strongly that there needed to be justice. Uh, At the minimum, George Zimmerman should be in the police department giving testimony, answering questions. Uh, At the most, he should be arrested. Maria Roach, who lived in Orlando near Sanford for a few years before returning to Maryland, heard of the case through her husband and quickly felt her emotions shift from empathy to anger. Watching as nearly zero progress was made by Florida law enforcement on the case, on St. Patrick's Day, Roach had finally had enough. I wrote my petition because at that point on St. Patrick's Day, it was now more than two weeks since Trayvon's death. I said, you know what, now it's time for the the federal government to step in. This has now um, not been handled properly by the Sanford Police Department, not been handled as far as I and many others were concerned by uh, Florida's uh, law enforcement. Now it's time for the Justice Department to step in. Roche's petition went out to her 200 followers on Twitter, and after its first day online, had roughly 75 signees. Though Roche didn't believe she'd get a large response, she was quickly stunned by the amount of followers. And I sent this out thinking maybe I would get a few hundred signatures. I posted it on Facebook. And I started tweeting it to all of the news outlets, to the Orlando Sentinel. uh, And then by Monday, I had 75,000 signatures. uh, And uh, MoveOn.org, I'm a member of, said, well, we're going to send it out to our followers. That's when it just exploded. Uh, And I realized that I'm not alone. Everyone is feeling the same sense of outrage. How does an unarmed teen holding juice and candy become, uh, get killed, murdered. Now up to over 500,000 signees, Roach plans to bring her petition demanding federal government intervention to the United States Attorney General Eric Holder, the first African-American to ever hold the position. And after starting with so few signees, she has been amazed by the power of social media in bringing the case to thousands across the nation. Social media is brilliant because it's an exchange of ideas. I have tweeted messages, and in delivering the message, I'm thinking one way, 
I immediately get a response back from someone anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world with their perspective. And in that instant, my thinking's expanded. Sometimes I thought I was very right in my point of view, and in receiving someone's response, I immediately adjusted my thinking. And that's the brilliance of social media is that it's a, a constant, instant exchange of ideas and information that as a person you're constantly evolving and expanding because you are gaining input from so many different people. Though opinions on the entire ordeal have ranged from the demand for justice to the demand for patience, a frightening subplot of the case has been the incendiary volley of racially charged prejudice that some believe led to Martin's death. Though those who know Zimmerman and have vouched for him as someone who displays no racial prejudice, University of Florida professor of history Dr. Paul Ortiz believes that while the racial assessment might not be fair, it's definitely part of the discussion. Because of the history of this country, I mean, look, the United States, the Americas were founded upon plantation slavery. And it was highly racialized system. You cannot escape that fact. And so you cannot disentangle what happened in Sanford, Florida, uh, from a broader system of, of racialism, if, if you will. So um, I think so far, Mr. Zimmerman, I think he has uh, one of his friends, uh, I believe a Mr. Oliver, who's talking about the fact that he's not he's not a racist person i mean that's so immediately that that is that has become a, a part of of the dialogue though details surrounding the case are still emerging and answers are still being sought roach's position is clear as an activist of social media she has been shocked by the power it holds but her ideas carry the weight and thoughts of mothers everywhere i think knowing um, as a parent you spend years raising your children, telling them well, what type of, of child to be. And I'm sorry to get upset. I just think of your hopes and your dreams that you put um, in this young person that you love. The family took trips. They, they, he was a child and played sports and horseback, would ride, horseback rides. This was not a child from a violent home. This was not a child with no option to turn to drug and violence. This was a little boy who was dearly loved, and all he wanted was to do what children every day do, go and uh, be in peace. It, it's not too much to ask that your child can walk to the store and return home safely. And... Uh, this is what's breaking the hearts of many people, not just black people, that they think we live in a country where our children aren't free. While the debate continues to rage in the nation's capital and the state of Florida, followers of the case everywhere are still trying to piece together an unclear puzzle. Here at the University of Florida, the Levin College of Law Center for the Study of Race and Race Relations will host a conversation on the shooting death of Trayvon Martin Wednesday. And while the discussion likely won't provide any more answers, it will provide more public commentary into the ever-shifting conversation. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM. I'm Mark Whiteman. One of a mother's biggest fears is not knowing if her child is safe. 
for Trayvon Martin's mother, Sabrina Fulton, that fear was justified when she learned of her 17-year-old son's death. University of Florida Interim Director for African American Studies Sharon Austin is a mother of three and says she wasn't surprised about Trayvon's death when it first made headlines. I remember seeing it just in a local newspaper. It was like on, you know, it was a really small article and it hadn't really gotten the kind of attention that it's getting now. Um, but based on what I heard, it just sounded very sad and it, was, it sounded familiar because I've heard of so many crimes like this over the years. Austin says her nephew, who is now in college, was taught about staying safe as a black male for years. My son's only seven, but I have a nephew who is now in college, but he, when he was a teenager, um, he grew up in the city of Memphis, and my sister lives in an, an affluent suburb, and she didn't let him walk around the neighborhood. Uh, she didn't even let him walk to school, and she was very strict about him going to the mall and hanging out with his friends, and he used to complain, and he used to tell her that, you know, you don't let me have any fun, but she was careful, and it wasn't because she thought he'd be attacked by someone of another race. She was afraid just when a lot of kids get together at the mall, um, the police tend to assume when they see a lot of black kids together that they're going to, you know, do something like shoplift. And she was afraid that there might be some type of trouble that he'd be harassed. And she was also afraid of the black on black crime. Being the parent of a minority is different from the role other mothers play when raising their children, says Austin. But being a successful black mother is in a category of its own. No matter how um, successful you become when you're black, you still have limitations based on your race. And when you know you move into these neighborhoods and you're a black parent, especially when you have teenagers or when you have children who are in their early 20s, you know, especially when you have sons, you have to be realistic about the fact that people are going to prejudge your son. And that's just the way it is in America. She says attaining success as an African-American is supposed to better one's children, but it adds a different weight to their shoulders. African-American mothers, because I myself am a, am a mom, um, already are, are familiar when, when we become successful, when you live in a predominantly white neighborhood and you know when you become a, a minority professional and you have children, your children are able to attend the best schools. Uh, your teenage sons live in these really nice neighborhoods, sometimes suburban neighborhoods. They have the best clothes, they have fancier cars because you know you have those things. And people have assumptions when they see black boys in particular driving nice cars or walking around nice neighborhoods as Trayvon was in a white neighborhood dressed in a hoodie but even if he hadn't been dressed in a hoodie I think it, it probably would have been a problem but that's sort of an image of like with when you see a minority kid in a hoodie people think that that shows some type of gang affiliation. Meanwhile Gainesville resident Rosa B. Williams says African-American parents should not have to give their children different warnings than parents of other races. I think it all I think every child red white or blue should be taught the same thing. Everybody is human beings and I don't think no black child should be taught different from the white child because to me all of them is human beings. Because I bleed, a white person bleeds. Just if I cut my hand, I bleed. But a white person cut their hand, they'll bleed. So we have no difference. Austin says even though parents can warn their children, it's a change in society's mindset that could make a real difference. It's not the children's fault. It's the fault of our society in the sense that we have a tendency to associate anything crime uh, that deals with crime or anything that's negative uh, with African Americans, especially with African American males. Um, and so it's not the kid's fault, it's our society's fault. Austin and Williams say they think the Trayvon Martin case will remain controversial for months to come.
For Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM, I'm Nikkel Smith reporting. One of those members on Governor Scott's task force is Florida State Representative Dennis Baxley from Ocala, who sponsored the Stand Your Ground law. He says the task force is a way to facilitate discussion. The first thing, I think it will give an excellent forum to hear from all corners and to hear all of the uh, facts that have come out of the uh, Trayvon Martin case and, and other situations and uh, will allow us to have that discussion. Representative Baxley says the task force will also be a way to discuss the law that has been at the forefront of the Trayvon Martin case, the Stand Your Ground law. I'm going to be very cautious about doing anything that would diminish law-abiding citizens' ability to protect themselves from violence. Uh, I think we have a good record on that front, and I think some of those facts will come forth. But absolutely, the legislature is a place that we uh, are always in... uh, condition of reviewing where we are with public policy and what kind of public policy we need moving forward to build a great Florida future. Representative Baxley adds a special task force will allow the stand your ground law to even get some clarification. I know there will always be some close calls in the uh, application and certainly out of this tragedy I'm hopeful that some articulation and clarification will come as to how this statute is applied when it is applied. I've always maintained that this statute has nothing in it that authorizes pursuit, confront, or uh, provoke. It is strictly designed for law-abiding citizens to have the presumption of law on their side any time they're under a suffering a violent attack. And they have to make a decision within seconds whether they will be a victim or not. When the case comes to a close, Representative Baxley says the special task force will allow them to look at public safety a bit closer. I think the facts of the case will play out in that environment, and uh, we should be grateful that, uh, you know, we live in a country where the rule of law prevails. And uh, so I trust that uh, judiciary process to uh, work out. And uh, in addition to that, it is an opportunity for us under the uh, governor's direction to review the public safety of all our citizens. Representative Baxley adds a special task force will meet in early May in Tallahassee. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Cameron Taylor reporting.